Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remixed, Season 3, Episode 11, Middle Ground. Um, we've been doing this for a while now. Like I was thinking about it the other day. I'm like, man, we started this in April. <laughs> and we're still in we're still in twenty twenty. Twenty twenty is now over. Yeah. So, yeah, no. <laughs> never gonna end apparently. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I brought it up is um we we have been doing this since April and everything that we've been doing in terms of these episodes have have has been yeah. up to this episode. And, and and honestly, we're, and, and like not not to cut you off early. I mean, but this is this this is the episode to do it to do all this on. Like I know you like to tell the number one. Uh, I mean, the, uh, like to tell like what what ranking it is. Yeah. But I just wanted to say like before you even said whatever the what. I mean, it's going to be in the top five, of course it is. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like this is. This is my favorite episode of The Wire. By, this is my number one by far. It is yeah, not even close. Yeah, we would agree. No. So, so yep. this, let's, this episode, let's, just, let's just put it out there right yeah, now. This is yeah. it. We are here. Yeah, We're yeah. here. We had the best episode in The Wire. Period. No um, this was directed by George my Chappelle. Opinion. Joe Chappelle. It was written by George Pelicanos. George Pelicanos does all the big Wire episodes in terms of writing. He does all the Pinocchio Yeah. Because yeah. he's an amazing writer. Yeah, he's, he's a, a, off the charts. Yeah, he's a writer. He's an author. Like he's a for real. Yes. Like, this is what he does. He, he puts uh, beautiful words in people's mouths. That's he, what he does um, for a living. He did uh, the Wallace episode in season one. He did the Frank Sabaka episode, Death episode in season two. He and he does, of course, the penultimate episodes in season five and season four. So he is David Simon's go-to. In this, yeah, in this, in yeah. This when he shows up, it's, it's big, going yeah, down. Yeah, for real. Yeah, so, yeah, we're, we're at we're at the end game when he shows up. Yes. So he wrote the episode. Um, and yeah, he did. Get into the ranking. Of course, this episode is ranked number one all time by Vulture. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and yeah. we will get no disagreements from from Mr. No. This Zero. Is, it's that slam dunk and slam dunk. Yeah, this, so, so I'll say this. this. This is the number one episode of all time as far as the Wired goes. And I will say it is one of the great it is one of the great episodes of television history. I, and I, I don't think I'm overstating by saying that. I mean, that's what I'm saying. We're going to leave the show off like, like for real. Like this is like I was watching it. I'm just like, this is the most perfectly constructed episode yes. of this series. And if this series is one of the greatest series of all time, which it absolutely is, then this is one of the most perfectly constructed episodes in television history, period. And I'll put this up against anything and won't even think twice about it. Won't lose that iota of sleep. You can bring whatever episode of anything else you want at me. I will stand here with this episode of The Wire and I will feel 1,000% confident. I don't care what you bring. Bring the Sopranos on. Bring whoever. Mad Men. Bring them. Bring them. Whatever. Get the episode. Let's go. Let's go. So, um, there are about, there are two other episodes that are going to be coming up in uh, season four and season five that are a notch below, that are a notch below, but I really, really like, that are in the conversation. 
One of the season four. This is, this is, but this is the best, though. This, this is, is I mean, like, this, but I, that's why I wanted to make that stamp early for myself because I know greatness is coming up. Absolutely, greatness is coming up. This is a perfect episode. No, there's no flaw. There's no There's no better. There's no better episode. Perfect. This is a perfect. No, this is a perfect episode. I just want to say that there are two episodes that I'm in particular that we'll get to in season four and season yep. five, one in each that sure. I that I sure, sure, sure. that are in the conversation. But there's no episode that's, sure, better, sure. that's better than this. So the epigraph. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Up until this point, how many have? Vulture, is it? It's Vulture, right? Vulture, yeah, or Verge? Vulture. Yeah, Vulture. Yeah, but I mean, how many top tens? I feel like we we haven't. We've only had two or three top tens. Uh, we had one. Yeah, so we had one in. We had one in season one and one in season right. two. So this season is the two. third. This right. is the third. Season third. Yeah, third top ten. So we have, yeah, we have more top tens coming up. From yeah, even Vulture's perspective, coming up. Yeah, four is going to have a four is going to have a, a number of top tens. Of course, warriors. Absolutely, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. Again, that's why I wanted to say, like, 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 I know. I mean, anybody who knows me knows how I feel about season four. Um, uh, you know, as a whole, absolutely, I, I will have definitive statements to say about the entire season. But in terms of a singular episode, it just doesn't get better than this. No, There's no. just no way any any other episode can come close to this because this is the this is the culmination of three years of storytelling. Yes. Yeah. Nothing else that they could generate in four or five could culminate in the three years of storytelling of of especially iconic characters. Like that that's the anyways, let's get into that. Yeah, we <laughs> I'm, are, I'm here. As yeah, you can tell no, I'm no, here. You can tell I am too yep. I'm very excited. Uh the epigraph. <laughs> The epigraph was, of course, by one stringer bell. Um, we ain't got the dream no more, man. And if you notice a trend in epigraphs in the penultimate episodes of leading up to this point, it hasn't turned out well for the character. You had Wallace in season one, Frank Chabacca in season yeah. two. So if you have a penultimate, yeah. if, you, if, you, yeah. if you say the epigraph leading up to this point, then that's that's not a good thing for your for your yes man <laughs> yeah good times are not ahead for you <laughs> not, that's not a good thing for your character so string up this would be this would be only great for the show not great not for good. the individual uh, character and that uh, actor ooh sorry actor yeah, not good for the character. <laughs> you need to update update the uh, update, update the, the IMD page I <laughs> so for themes I had two themes I had of course death of a dynasty. And I had there. There is no middle ground. Those are my two things for coming into this episode. Um, again, this episode, to your point, again, it was a culmination of all of everything we watched leading up to this. It was a very easy watch. I felt like I kind of felt like a you know we're both educators. I kind of felt like a student who had who was taking a test and had all the answers to the test. Like I like I just that's what I felt like. I felt like the show has provided us with so much detail and great information leading up to this episode that it was it made it that much easier to watch even though there was even though there was some 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 technical some technical shit that i you know we'll get into the some of the some of their tech shit that was just not confusing but it was like damn we'll get we'll get, we'll get into that though um opening scene omar and brother muzon so omar and brother muzon face off in a western type scenery. It's dark, it's at night. 
you have Omar who you know has uh, robbed somebody because he had a bag. He had a <laughs> he had a bag. He's carrying uh, he's carrying a bag. So he had robbed some, he had robbed a stash house or something because he was carrying a bag. Um, and all of a sudden you hear Buddy say that's far enough. Omar gives a curious look as if to say like, how dare somebody rob me? <laughs> look on Omar's face was hilarious. And basically, and Omar said to, you know, said to the extent, you know, you know who I am. And um, Brother Muzon says, Omar. And then they face off. And Muzon says, you know, toss the laundry. He says, you know, toss it, toss the laundry, um, toss the laundry, and I guess drop the gun or something to that extent. And Omar basically said, Omar says, you know, I, you know, I'm not tossing anything. So you're going to have to pull, you're going to have to like do what you have to do and make it quick. So they get into, um, he doesn't toss the gun. He pulls it, you know, he pulls the gun out slowly and points it at Muzon. Muzon's pointing the gun at him. They get into a conversation, a brief conversation, and with Muzon saying basically, um, I like, you know, I want to ask you a question. Uh, Omar to, you know, Omar during that conversation says, I knew you was coming back. Wasn't about to wild out over it. Um, Muzon says, you know, I'm, I'm sure you didn't lose sleep, you know, didn't lose sleep over it. And um, the scene ends with, uh, of course, uh, Muzon saying, you know, can, you know, I want to, I want to ask you a question. I'd like to ask you a question. Omar says, you know, oh, you know, Omar says, you know, Omar's listening. Omar's listening. So a, you know, a, 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 a Western type showdown with these two legendary, you know, killers uh, squaring off. And we all know about, you know, David Simon loves Westerns. So that definitely was, you know, that definitely had that type of feel during over the course of the scene. And certainly in the conversation for best opening scene in Wire History as well, certainly. Uh, what were your thoughts on this, on this scene? Perfect. Every every scene in this this episode will be perfect, and it's perfect. And like, yep, David Simon does like westerns. All of us like westerns. This doesn't have anything to do with David Simon, in all due respect. This this episode and this, I love that starting starting, and I love that analogy. I love that you brought the western in immediately, and I love the two you got the two gunslingers standing face to face off right there, and. The reason why I love this intro so much and the reason why this episode, I've been waiting so, so long for this episode is so that now we can actually all just fully unload. Um, and so um, this is the wire showing everything that it learned as a, um, as a, as a, as a television show. Like Nat, like literally, as they're talking, like there's nothing realistic about that scene. There's nothing like grounded in reality, grounded in greediness, everything. This is a fantastic scene. This is a amazing piece of dialogue. Human beings don't talk like that to each other in the street. This <laughs> is this is the wire becoming a higher television show. It's elevated itself now, um, and that's why this episode is so very very, very important. Um, and the reason why I say it doesn't have anything to do with David Simon and Eric Burns is because that's, that was their, for, that's their forte. The, the kind of like the being very um, in the details and the minutia of the everyday parts of the job and the city and the feeling and everything like that. And of course, they get all the credit and everything for this. But this is George Pelicanos. This is a writer taking his pen to these characters and saying, you know, like, 
throw all that other stuff out. We are going to just create beautiful scenes this episode. We've done all the hard work. To your point, we the show has done all the hard work showing us how realistic it is, how does it, how gritty it is, how urban it is, the feel, the language, the everything. It's done all that groundwork. We don't have to worry about that. Now, the writers of the show can unleash in the characters. These characters with these great mythos can just unleash and we can just watch them unfiltered by, you know, um, the nitty gritty of the day to day, you know, detailed detective, you know, what we move from, like, uh uh-uh, uh, this is, this is operatic right now. We, we've reached a different level. And the scene lets us know right from the beginning, this is going to be an epic episode like you haven't ever seen before, especially on this show at that time. And then especially, I mean, the only comparison you could have is some of the Sopranos episodes at this point in time. Um, uh, on television. Yeah, you know, neither one of these characters had any intent to to kill each to kill one another. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like they're kind of like it, you know, it's kind of like a, uh, a a boxing match from a standpoint. Mm-hmm. They were kind of exactly. and kind of trying. No, so well, you guys zoom it out now. We here now. All that stuff we talked about, the stringer, the plan, and everything like that. Of course, we know they're not trying to kill each other. Of course, we know that. Like now's the full circle. We're here. We're here. We're here. So you and those two get together from the very beginning. Think about the time. Think about everything we've watched up there from this point in time, and then even think about the time when it was happening. We knew what was going to happen. We knew what this was about. This has never been about Omar and Brother Muzon. No. Of course they're not going to kill each other because Omar shot him in the gut and they had a conversation about it. And that's what lost the whole theories about them going, go, like, what, straight, everything like that. So we hear that. We have the end game. We hear. We don't have to, we don't have to do any of that other stuff. We, we, we're here. We know what's going to happen. So, yeah, so definitely, so, you know, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Definitely in the conversation with one of the great opening scenes ever. We go to uh, from this scene up to the detail. So the detail, along with Daniels, they're looking at they're looking at the board. So I see Daniels looking at that the, the crime board, and it was just you know they have it was just so much. It was so many pictures and so much information. To and to your point, just that was the it was a small quick it was a small quick glance at the crime board. But again, another signal to what you've been saying, like in terms of we're here. This is the end game. As they show the entire crime board with the Stansfields, Stanfield, and with uh, Avon and Stringer, and, and all the information that's been collected, so you get a, you get a glance at that, and then you had the detail listening to um, to Bodie's voice, um, trying to as he speaks, try, trying to get FaceTime. Uh, says as Bodie as Bodie speaks, he says he needs some he needs FaceTime with the man. They're they're assuming that the man was of course was uh, Stringer Bell. Any thoughts on this on this uh, on this scene after the opening? Proud Papa Daniels is looking at that board as a proud Papa. Remember the, the detail is his baby. It's his baby. Right. That's his detail, and the fact that they switched off a target and initially switched off another target, got onto this target, then was was dealt the impossible hand of the burners and got all that up in that short amount of time. That shows his detail knows what it's doing. Proud Papa. 
I loved it. I love that. Just that pan of him just looking at that board, pop, pop up. And yeah, everything else is, is up and running. They, they're ready. They're up and running. They're ready to go in. So we go to, uh, we go to Rawls and Burrell. So Rawls and Burrell are discussing how to deal with, uh, with uh, Amsterdam. They're waiting for Mayor Royce to make a move. Royce is discussing, so, you know, they, uh, Royce uh, calls, uh, they're on the phone with, uh, with Burrell. So Royce uh, is discussing what, you know, discussing what to do with his team. You have Delegate Watkins, you have the Chief of Staff, you have the acad- uh, academic, and you also have Kurt Schmolt, who is, who was uh, the former mayor, the real life former mayor of Baltimore from 87 to 99, speaking on the positives of Ham- of Amsterdam, the academic and Kurt Schmoke are speaking was speaking on the positive of, of, of uh, Amsterdam and they are, you know, starting to get they're, they're starting to get to Royce from a standpoint of Royce thinking that he, you know, uh, you know, might be untouchable on the, on here, untouchable with the 14 percent uh, dropping crime. The chief of staff and Delegate Watkins basically think that Royce is out of his mind. They said, you know, Delegate Watkins says they, they, they will light into you uh, if, you know, if you don't if you don't act on this right now. And so the chief and staff, the chief of staff at Delegate Watkins are, you know, are agreeing that they should move immediately. Uh, chief of staff says, you know, says that uh, that Burrell is waiting for you, you know, waiting for you to make a move. Um, what were your thoughts on uh, on this scene as as Royce is deciding, as Royce is kind of going back and forth with whether or not to move on Amsterdam? Yeah, in this perfect, perfect episode. Um, this is setting up for next season. They still have their eye, you know, on 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 the future. So this is this is setting us up for next season. Yeah. So to 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 what you to your point, look at the body language of Delegate Watkins as Royce, you know, is 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 even contemplating on not moving on Amsterdam right away. So that that is definitely to your point. That's definitely something that. Is some you know some foreshadowing for uh, for the politics. Um, so Royce decides to uh, delay the move on Amsterdam, and Burrell said, and and so at that point, Burrell recognizes like, look, I'm not he he's delaying this move because he's going to try to throw all the blame on the police department. I'm not going to go out like that. So I will. So he Royce, not Royce, Burrell decides to call. Carcetti, so that he decides to call Carcetti, so he could spin it, spin it in his direction. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is the, this is the hard work. This actually is about Carcetti. This is all Carcetti's hard work paying off. He, like, just like police develop a snitch in their department, he de- he's been developing laws so that laws. Yeah, mean Burrell. Would, not well, Burrell. Sorry, so that Burrell would call him. In a moment like this, yeah. So this is actually Carcetti's hard work paying off. So right. this is again part of the plan, and the plan is is is, is starting to bear some fruit. The political plan. So you see, um, so we go to Stringer and uh, and Maurice Levy. Uh, Levy explains to uh, explains to Stringer that he's been ra- he's been rain made by Clay Davis. Um, he. Completely just, I mean, he, he's completely just was baffled that Stringer, you know, that Stringer didn't bring this information to him 
uh, prior before and says, you know, tell Stringer, look, man, this is an old game in town. Clay Davis was born with born with his hand in somebody's pocket. He broke down all the situations that that Clay Davis took Stringer through in terms of meeting the dude at the lobby, saying that you know if you if, if you know you know he's you keep giving him money, but he's you know you keep giving him money. You gave him two hundred fifty thousand dollars on thirty five thousand dollars for the light you know for that light bulb bullshit that that Clay Davis had made that made up. And he said that um, Levy tells him, "I wish you would have brought this to me earlier." Um, Stringer is just, you know, can't believe that he, that Clay Davis would even consider, that Clay Davis would even, like, run game on him. And just, you know, he, you know, was was almost in semi-shock as Levy is breaking this, you know, as breaking this down to him. And it just showed you just how green, how green Stringer was. He was completely just out of his element. Um, in the part where he says... We bribing these motherfuckers, and Levy's like, there are no bribes. He's like, he said, you think he says, you think a state senator is gonna risk his salary, uh, what a walking in with a briefcase full of drug money? So he completely undressed Stringer, and you know, Stringer is there as I'm as you look as you see on my on my screen with the picture. You'll see on my picture when you know once when the podcast come out comes out, Stringer is sitting on the bench, just looking completely looking just looking stupid, and completely in shock. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, so here, here's here's the big deal. Everything you said accurate, and then now I'm going to add on just a little bit more. This is the most damning scene for Stringer's overarching rep, how he has represented himself through the entire series. This scene right here damns him um, as a pretender and as as someone who when we get to that scene uh, Avon really really calls out like for real calls out um, and the thing is it, most of us in our life can afford to get hustled we can afford to get hustled it's embarrassing it's shameful you know we feel ashamed da, 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 everything like that we might lose out some money usually that's what happens we're getting hustled out of some money and so yada 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 but it's not life threatening in most cases in the job and the position that Stringer's in, he cannot get hustled. He no, cannot. No. This is not a mistake he can make. And this is not a mistake he should make because his instincts should be sharper than that. And the fact that they're not is damning. It says a lot. Um, and so I loved how this scene is because you said Levy kind of like um, is like, I, I forgot the word that to use, but in my head, I'm like, man, that was even kind of what Real said. Because Levy just mocks him. He laughs yeah, at him. He was laughing at him. He was laughing at him. He mocks him. He was just like, just like, yo, you're like, this is, this is, this is ABC. Um, yeah. This, uh, this is toddler school of hustle. Right. Like, yeah. uh, someone like Streeger, I cannot say this enough. Someone of the, in the position, in the, the game that Stringer's in has to smell out a hustle. Like it's, it's, it's part, it's like typing for a secretary. Like it's a necessary skill. And so what does that say about him that he couldn't smell out this, this hustle? What that says about him is that pride goeth before the fall. Yep. Right? Like he has yep. gotten so into the idea of him as a businessman, gangster, 
if that even makes sense, which it doesn't, it was, the show is arguing that it doesn't make sense no. as a businessman gangster, um, that he has completely lost his way. And, you know, we, we will see the consequences of this. Yeah. And has, has lost his way for a long time. This is just another symptom. The fact that he got hustled is just a symptom. He's lost his way. He probably, and not even probably, I know this is what the show is saying. When we met Streaker, he was, he was lost. He was on his way to being lost. Um, he was in the middle of losing, losing his way. Um, and probably, of course, what they were talking about, like when him and Avon go about to their kids, um, probably this was not the game for him. Probably. We'll flush that I out. Think that's, I, think the show, I think the show can, I think the show can, has, has made enough points on that. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely flush that out. Um, so the detail, um, we, go, we go back to the detail. Uh, it discusses how Stringer's phone is on a different network uh, than the other than the other dealers. So you know they have Bernard, they have some of the other mid level, they have Bodie, but they don't. Of course, they don't have Stringer nor Avon. Um, McNulty heads out to you know to go you know to get some more to get equipment to help them further along the investigation. Uh, what were your th- what were your thoughts? Because that 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 was you know a lot of things happened in this episode. Of course, Avon Stringer related, but one of the big reveals, one of the underrated reveals, was the fact that Stringer's phone uh, was not on the uh, same network. That was, a, I thought, that was a cool reveal as far as from a tech from a technology standpoint. Uh, what was your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a good reveal. I mean, we knew that because Stringer's phone was listed, and they could just call it up, so we knew his phone was. Was oh no no I know what you thought sorry um so we knew he was in a space in terms of of like answering and, and having an open phone in terms of this particular part like what you're talking about it like of course he has a phone that's separate from the regular network that these ragamuffins are doing one thing that's may remain consistent of Stringer is that he keeps people around him that he feels intellectually better than. That, that's a big motivating factor for whoever gets close to him and people who worship him um, un, 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 without, without thought, um, hence Bowie. Um, and, so, um, and so, of course, he wouldn't be on the network with, with, these, with, these, with these ragamuffins. Um, and that just, you know, on the, on the flip side of that, and it's always very cool, uh, when they do like flip the mirror like this, um, the show does. Um, from the audience's perspective, we know these characters well. We know their thoughts. We know everything like that. From the police characters' perspective, there isn't really much of a difference between Stringer and Bodie and da 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 in terms of like how they view them intellectually, how they view them as criminals. They know, of course, that Stringer's higher priority because he's higher up in the food chain. But in terms of all of them just being perps, that's what they are to the police. And so we know when I keep going, of course, um, yes, I know as a viewer who has seen this, of course, Stringer would never have be on that network. But to the cops, it absolutely is a revelation because they group Barksdale as all of them, not like, oh, that's just this one, this one, and this person might be everything like that. And so um, I just always find that interesting and like it when they flip it like that. 
So you have uh, Beretti, not Beretti, uh, Burrell and Carcetti meeting. Uh, Burrell tells Carcetti about Colvin and, and the Amsterdam. He, he tells them that uh, the mayor is trying to throw, to, to throw him under the bus. And he recommends to Carcetti that to contact Tony Gray, because if Tony Gray is going to take a run at, uh, a run at uh, Burrell, you know, he'll have some, he will have some ammunition. Of course, he does not know that Carcetti is running for mayor. Uh, what was your thoughts? Well, Carcetti has an announced. Yes, announced. Gray's already announced. Gray, yeah, Gray's announced. But I said, I know, I know. They, he, you know, he doesn't. He, yeah. He, only, few people, yeah. People, only, only Carcetti and his campaign people uh, were uh, know know that know that information as of as of now. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, setting up for for next season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. You have Agent Fitzhugh and McNulty discussing uh, the equipment that we saw McNulty had not to see to get. This is equipment that will help them flag down uh, cell numbers, uh, some cell numbers that you know that will advance the case against Stringer. Against Stringer. Now, I guess the interesting thing about this scene was the fact that the equipment was right, right under the noses of the police department. Um, Fitz, Fitz tells, tells McNulty, you have about three of them, you know, you have three of them, you know, you have three of them in your backyard. So I guess, you know, I, I, I guess that was, you know, that was the one thing, that was the one particular thing that, you know, to take away from this scene. What were your thoughts on this scene? I mean, the, the point of the scene is, in original, is to get the momentum of maybe the police are going to catch. We just know what's going to happen. So that's why this scene, we know this scene doesn't really add up to anything else because we know what's going to happen but the point of this was to is building the momentum that uh oh the police are getting closer and closer and closer and could potentially get to them so we go to three but yeah but, but yeah go but keep going keep going we go to nope. uh, Car and d gaschino of course his campaign manager or strategist they discuss how to use the information she tells them about you know about uh Amsterdam. He tells her about Hampshire now, I should say, and they discuss. She discusses how to uh, use the information. They discuss how to use the information on Burrell about that Burrell gave them to their advantage. So she advises him to speak to uh, to reach out and speak to Colby. Uh What were your thoughts? Yep. Uh, you know, setting up for next season. We see McNulty get the equipment for flag for the flag and the cell phones. Um, and then we see Carcetti attempts, uh, we see Carcetti attempts to, uh, goes out and attempts to reach, uh, to reach Coleman. He ends up getting, uh, Coleman's, uh, cell number and attempts to, to, uh, reach him. Of course, that, that will set up for, uh, that will set up for, uh, a future, a scene, a uh, number of scenes during the course of this episode with Carcetti, Carcetti and, uh, Bunny Coleman. So Cuddy and the boxers. Uh, so Cuddy again is in is in you know is in heaven. He has his gym open. He has the attention of, of the youngins, but what he doesn't have is real equipment. So Cuddy, the box, some of the, some of the young, you know, you know how kids are, you know, saying start teasing his equipment, messing, you know, teasing uh, teasing him about his equipment. They're not lying because the equipment was old and raggedy. And uh, Cuddy, so we will see what this scene uh, leads to. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, we'll wait till we get to the to the scene with him and Avon. 
All right, big scene, Avon, Stringer, and Slim Charles. So, Slim Charles, Avon, Stringer comes into Avon's wartime safe, uh, uh, you know, wartime where he's, at, you know, where he's been since the war started. Uh, seemingly, he looked, looked like Stringer was a little fucked up. Um, but he comes in angry. Number one, you know, he's just got, you just have the, he just got the news about Clay Davis. So he's already pissed off about that. And then on top of that, he has to wait. <laughs> he has to wait just to see Avon. Uh, Slim Charles, one of Avon's, one, one, of the, one of the soldiers had him waiting, a guy that he doesn't know because Avon has a bunch of people that we don't know right now that they are, are non-Barksdales that uh, Stringer doesn't know. Stringer tells, you know, comments on that, tells Slim Charles, Slim Charles about that, and then proceeds proceeds to ask Slim Charles to murder Clay Davis. Uh, Slim Charles, and by, let me, let me rewind a little bit, because this was even more interesting. So he asked to see Avon, and Slim Charles, he, Slim Charles tells him he'll be along shortly. So he, even when he gets in to see Avon, he, he doesn't immediately see Avon. So he tells Slim Charles, Hey, I, you know, Clay Davis got to go. Slim Charles is like, look, I don't know. He's like, the Clay Davis. So even Slim Charles knows who Clay Davis is. And, you know, Avon, not Avon, Stringer gets angry and says, you know, you know, who, you know do I got to remind who you work for? And then Avon comes out the shadows and says, I think Slim is going to sit this one out. So Avon basically mocks Stringer, similar to Levy. Avon basically mocks Stringer, saying, "Oh, you gonna go kill? You gonna go kill a state senator now?" He says, "We have federal. We had the federal police, state police, everybody. If you go down, if you kill somebody like that, so you basically need a day in the jackal, and that's that's state. That's uh, we we are we both will be staying our age because that's a that's an old classic movie. I'm not even talking about the, the the Bruce Willis one. I'm talking about the the original Day of the Jackal that that came out like in the '70s and what have you." So you basically need a dead jackal to do some shit like that, which is an assassin, a rough and tumble nigga like Slim. And Avon and uh, Stringer says, you know, he took our money. And, and Avon taunts him again, says, I knew it. He says, well, I'll tell you about playing those away games. He says, they, he says, you know, he basically says, you got beef with them. That's on you. He says, they saw your ghetto ass coming miles away, nigga. And uh, Avon Stringer walks out walks out with nothing uh, from the standpoint of getting uh, getting getting approved you know having the con having the, the approved killing of Clay Davis he walks out again taking another L his second L of the day um, with uh, with Avon a lot to a lot to chew on with this with this particular scene uh, great scene what were your thoughts I mean I'll let I'll, you can go in first yeah I mean you know it's kind of like you know, Avon was pissed off, and we—he's been pissed off the whole season with Stringer behind this whole real estate shit. But Avon saw—we—we we know Avon saw this like episode when he first came out of jail. He saw the—he saw the hustle um, when they first had that meeting with Crawcheck, and they were on site when he had his helmet on. So he saw that shit then, and he repeated. And so he's pissed—he's pissed off. Not only just the, the whole the idea of killing a state senator like that. I mean, that's just crazy. But the idea that he's pissed off, but the idea that they did that Stringer did not see this hustle coming from a mile away. And then you have the second part of it is the fact that and I, I mentioned this episodes ago when Avon first got out of jail, that Stringer has been in essence replaced as the number two by one Slim Charles. If you notice, 
is Slim Charles is the one is Avon's guy right now. Slim Charles had the one had had Stringer waiting just to see Avon, which you know we would have never thought that you know saw that in season two or season one. Like you're not gonna see WeeBay holding up Stringer to see Avon like that. That shit wasn't gonna happen. So it just shows you how far how far Stringer has fallen and how quickly this his, his fall was uh, over the course of this episode up until this point. What were your thoughts? Everything, you nailed, you nailed everything I would have said. And then the only thing I'll add in there is then, I mean, it's just fracture organization. It's just, this is the perfect example of it. Perfect example. The, I mean, like, if it wasn't very clear to Stringer how fractured the organization was, um, it was clear It was clear at that point in time that there's not even, there are two, there are two distinct voices. And his voice doesn't ring out with the muscle at all. Like not even not even a little bit. No. Not even a little bit. And it's because of exactly what you said, what how Avon feels about him. Um as we as we have seen with Avon, he can care about you as a someone who he considers a brother or a relative, but that doesn't mean he respects you. Those are two different things. Yes. So he cares yes. about Stringer, absolutely. Because of all they've been through, right. but he has lost all respect for Stringer. Yeah. No, he has no, because of what you named. Yeah, he has no respect for Stringer right at this point. I mean, yeah, I mean it's like between the real estate, this real estate thing, the way between how what he didn't do with handling Marlowe and also the nail in the coffin, of course, the, the uh, you know with the D'Angelo Barksdale uh, situ uh, fiat situation. So Stringer, like, yeah, no, nah, he, he has zero respect. Uh, for Stringer and anything that Stringer says at, at this point. Um, yeah, and I found it interesting too. So he asked him to kill Clay Davis and then uh, Avon basically like, no, you don't want to get gangster. You, now you want to get gangster wild with it. No, handle, handle your shit. He said, he said, handle your shit like a businessman. Now you want to get gangster uh -huh. wild. He said, uh -huh. that shit is on you. You yeah. say, <laughs> he's like, no, handle well, it like now, a business, now, now actually isn't the time to get all game. Right, right, yeah, that's what he says. Killing senators. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's actually time you need to go get your briefcase and go do something. Right, yes. Yeah, now, yeah. yeah. So, you know, again. Yeah, that was great. That, that, that was funny. Yeah, that was the, the, I, I like that aspect of it. Again, you know, man without a country, you know. Not hard enough, not smart enough. That that ring that will ring out through the course of the rest of Stringer's time with the show. Um, in terms of what Avon said a few episodes back, uh, we go to the detail. They're setting up equipment, the the, the Triggerfish equip the equipment, which was called Triggerfish, uh, outside uh, right across the street from Tring from Stringer's uh, print shop. Of course, this equipment will be catching will be catching Stringer's calls. Um, catching Stringer's uh, calls off his permit, off his, you know, criminal cell phone. Of course, remember, Stringer has, they have both of Stringer's, uh, they can collect both of Stringer's calls off the regular phone, the legit phone, and now the illegitimate phone. So now they're able to, they were able to um, catch calls off his illegitimate phone uh, right across the street from his print shop. Uh, what were your thoughts? Um, this is, this you kind of see, like, it's the visual representation of what's going on in their minds, how frantic everything is. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's this was like to your point, this was a very this was a this was a smooth episode, but it was a very fast-paced episode as far as things were things were happening quickly in, in this particular episode. And like frantic is a is a perfect word to describe that. Um we go to Bubbles down in Amsterdam with a young with, with a youngin who starts to ask some questions about his t-shirts. Um and again actually gave Bubbles an idea. So Bubbles, uh he says, you know, the guy this the young guy says, "Hey, what about what happens? What happens when it gets when it gets cold? You gonna have hoodies?" Uh, so they have they get into that con- they get into that conversation. We will see, um, we will see what that leads to as far as bubbles go. So, quick scene. Uh, what were your thoughts on that as bubbles continues his, his continues being an entrepreneur? But was that 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 it, that didn't have the conversation between young boy and old head. Did it? That's not the scene no. you're talking about. No, 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 no. Okay, this, all right. This, yeah. this, this, this is just a yeah, 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 yeah. Just a scene. It's just a scene. Uh, Bodie and Cuddy. So Cuddy goes to Bobby, Bodie, uh, in order to try to reach Omar, not Omar, trying to reach Avon. Um, Bodie says, you know, Cuddy, of course, Cuddy, you know, um, Cuddy wants to reach wants to reach Avon. We'll find out what it's for. Uh, later on, uh, Bodie makes a call, and, and then you see Bodie makes a call. And says, "I got the I got the soldier that walked away." Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Let's, we we got to talk about it all together. Okay. So we go to Johnny. Johnny, you know, has um, is you know again, it's been in Amsterdam seemingly forever. At least you know since you know at least for the last five or six episodes, maybe I, I think I, I think he's been there since it's open. To be honest with you. So he's getting high. Yeah, they brought him in. The, they brought him in the truck. They right. brought him. Well, in yeah, he's, he hasn't let. No, he he has not left. No, he literally has been there for like the last seven episodes. Um, he's getting high with another dude, and you know it's bad when another crackhead tells you to slow tells you to slow down. Like, <laughs> so he's like, "Yo, slow down." Johnny's like, "I'm cool." Then the other crackhead says, "I'm trying to school you," um, which you know. It just shows you where Johnny's at uh, right now. Then he's, you know, he sees Bubbles, uh, Bubbles selling shirts. He looks outside the window, sees Bubbles selling, uh, selling, um, selling shirts. Um, what were your thoughts on, uh, on? Yeah, this is why I was waiting for you to get to this one. Um, this is one of those scenes where, when I look on it with fresh eyes, I saw something different than I had seen than I ever seen before. And so, in the past, when I've watched this scene. I've always connected it directly with Bubbles, like Bubbles, Johnny, Johnny Bubbles, their relationship, the old head in the scene is a stand-in for Bubbles, and he's basically telling Johnny, as Bubbles has been telling Johnny, you know, the whole time, like, you gotta slow down, you gotta slow down, because we all know where that's gonna, we all know where that ends if he doesn't slow down. Um, But this time watching it, I was like, oh, and of course, since season four is, like, right there, I was like, oh, this is foreshadowing. Right. This is actually turning the tables on the bubbles and being like foreshadowing bubbles failure. Um, and that's that. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. But this is the first time I recognize that. Um, I know that's what that's leading to. I mean, I know that's the connection now, but I definitely didn't know it at the time. I don't even think they knew it at the time, honestly, unless they had that written out. And I don't know if they, they did, but now, knowing the whole arc of the show and knowing everything, I'm just like, oh, I see that direct connection. 
I see a direct connection. I know that they wanted to call back to that moment when they got there in season four. Call back to this moment right here. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, he sees Bubbles selling the shirts. Uh, yeah. And now, yeah. We, can't, we can't get into it because it's, no. it's too no, 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 no. Yeah, don't even, yep, no, yeah, no. I'm just, that's what, that's what I got out of it, something different. Um, we go to the detail. They hear Bodie and Shamrock on a call as Bodie again. Bodie's calling. Uh, Bodie was calling about Cuddy, saying he needs some FaceTime with the man. Um, calling Shamrock in the detail. Here's both of them on a call. Quick scene. Any thoughts on this particular scene? Yep. I mean, it's, it's quick scene. I mean, it's, it's building momentum for Cuddy to get to where he needs to be, and it's building momentum for the squad. Um, to get to like you know feeling like they have Stringer, so it's very quick scene. That's what it was meant for. Uh, so we see Stringer in his uh, office, print shop office. He, you can feel the tension mounting up. He's getting frustrated. Uh, breaks a pencil. Breaks a pencil. Um, he takes a call from Shanrock. He switches his cell chip in his phone on the phone um, for on the phone from Shanrock uh, and and. Uh, he switches, yeah, he switches his cell chip in his phone. Um, and uh, what, like, what were your thoughts on this quick, on this scene? We'll talk about it when we get there. Uh, the detail picks up the call from Shanrock to Bodie. Um, we can, we'll talk about that, later, you know, flush that out later on. Uh, Stringer, now we'll get back to Stringer. He's still in his office and he's looking at the federal grants applications uh, he makes a call from his, his legit phone to the Western District po District Police Police Department. Um, we go back to the detail with McNulty and and and, uh, and uh, Lester and Freeman. Freeman asked McNulty, you know, is this you know is this something we should be concerned about? McNulty and McNulty is not concerned at was not worried or concerned at all. Do you think at that point McNulty knew who Stringer was calling? I don't think it matters, real. It don't at all. Okay. No, because we know how this episode is going to end. Uh, we get to Avon and Cuddy. So Avon, of course, Cuddy reached out to uh, to, to meet Avon. He gets they, they hook up that meet. Uh, Cuddy asks Avon basically for ten thousand dollars in cat ten thousand dollars for boxing equipment. He goes through this elongated story um, that. Eventually, Avon started getting annoyed. Um, it was like, look, I don't want my picture on the wall. Uh, I ain't got time for this bullshit. Like, how much, and basically say, you know, how much you need? So if he asked for $10,000, Avon gives him $15,000 in cash. Of course, we know Avon from season one was a former boxer. That's how he had that picture. You know, he, that's how Lester got his picture from that boxing gym. So, you know, he has that. He was Golden Gloves um, as, a young, as a youngster. And um, we see a, you know, another, a, a humane side of Avon. So as he says, you know, take care of them little niggas uh, as he gets Cuddy, as he gets Cuddy $15,000. And he generally, he generally respects Cuddy as we all know as well. Uh, what were your thoughts? Okay. So sit back. This is going to be a long one. Um, I have all the thoughts on this scene. So the uh, spoiler alert, this is my Chardine scene and it goes to Cuddy and Avon. I love this scene. Cuddy, especially. Um, the way that he's 
vulnerable at the very beginning and apprehensive and in the way Avon kind of like laughs it off and breaks it down. But what this scene is all about is like, this is again, like this is the heart of the wire. This is why this show is special. This is why the series is very special because the characters are multifaceted and they're people, they're humans. They're not, they're not evil. They're not good. They're not, you know, heroic. They're not, um, uh, 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 another action word. I just can't. I can't think of it. But but all those big words. They're they're human. And so, um, in this moment, Avon's very very human. It has nothing. I mean, of course, boxing, like all the different things that you said about that. But it's it's he acknowledged. And I was so I was like surreal. Don't you dare skip over that quote. And you didn't skip over it because that's that's the heart of it. He's like, look at Eric yeah, Cuddy. Look at these little niggas. He doesn't know who he's getting, who he's looking after. It's not anything or anything. It's just, he, this is a man, and this connects all the way back to that scene when Cuddy's leaving, he goes, nah, he's a man for leaving. Because Avon respects the strength it takes not to be in the game. And that is what is endearing about um, about that character, and this is that that is what um, is part of like the humanity. I mean, like this is this is absolutely um, like just like one of those moments where you just kind of like look at the show, and especially a show that had a lot of let's be real, like uh, honest, like a lot of white faces behind the creators, the writer, the director, the creator, producer in this episode, all white faces. Um, to 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 so. For a show to be able to get at a moment like this is just like, wow, like they're really paying attention. However it is that they're paying attention, whether it's collaborative. I mean, we all know the, the writing and everything about The Wire since, since then. So we know their process and we know a lot about how they got to these moments. But in at the time, being a black man, yeah, I was 24, a black man at that time. Still, still felt like a boy, but but black man at that time and watching a scene like this on television, these are important and it means something. It matters. It matters so much. It matters so much because it's not about vilifying or demonizing an Avon Boxdale character. It's not about lifting a cutty character up and saying, oh, he's an angel. What it's about is about finding a commonality and finding a commonality in these characters and finding a commonality in, and therefore finding a commonality in all of us. What a good writer does, and this is why it's so important for this show to get to this point right now, what a good writer does, what a well-written show does, is it, sh it shows the mirror to society. Like, good TV is fine. David Simon has said over and over again, and you can tell in the moments like this, this isn't about good TV. It isn't about top 10 lists. is isn't about, you know, who had the best quote of the thing. None of that matters. It's about moments like this. And it's about showing true, honest-to-God humanity. And this is a true, honest-to-God human moment echoed in a show like this. Um, it is, It is. you know, it's one of my hidden top five all-time moments. It, it absolutely is. Um, it, 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 it says everything. And so, like, and I do want to take this time to say this, even, like, the Stringer Bell, the, the, the fact that Stringer is flawed is what makes the Stringer Bell character so great. Like, the fact that these characters, like, what I get on McNulty, the fact that I can get on that part of it is what makes that a great character. 
No one in this series is perfect, and that's why this series is perfect. That's why this is a great series and a great show. So no matter what my perspective is on characters, the thing that you will hear me say the least about the characters on this show is put them into absolute categories. Because if a character is either good or bad, then they can't make real human moments like this. Right. This is special. Yeah. And not a lot of shows ever do it. From that point to now, whatever, this is special. And especially two black men having a conversation like this, I cannot say enough how much that is not seen. Not seen there, not seen since. Two black men, two grown black men having a moment like this. It's as important as it gets. Yeah. Right, I'm done. No, no, question, no question about it. Yeah, so a couple of things. Get to your point about Avon respecting strength. What Avon doesn't respect, doesn't respect is self-deception. And that's why he's, that's why he and Stringer are at where they're at right now. Like he does, he, he, like, gives you a point about the strength. Even Avon, I'll give you two scenes, or I'll give you two, two uh, separate scenes from uh, previous, previous seasons. Even going back to season one, Avon got pissed off at the referee about the game because the referee didn't stand up to him. He's like, why don't you stand up for yourself? So he got pissed off for the referee, for referee not standing up to him. And then he says, and then in regards to Marlo, even though he wants to kill Marlo, he respects the fact that Marlo, he's like, he respects the fact that Marlo is even is taking him on. And he said, you know, he said he's good. When he got to, he found out he killed the girl, uh, uh, Devon, he said, yeah, he's good. And then he says, I was just in one other scene about Marlo, he says, I was just starting to respect the motherfucker for showing some heart when he thought Marlo has quit. So, yeah, to your point about strength, Avon does respect strength and he does you i mean he respects no me. i didn't say strength i did not say he respects strength <laughs> don't like like no, you oh, did, you no 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 i said i said no 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 here, here so this is why i didn't want i don't want these things confused it's not strength of power it's strength of moral clarity so when when um when I, i'm going to use his name his real character's name when dennis walks away, what I was saying was, Avon respects the strength it takes to walk away from the game. Because okay. getting in the game from okay. where they are is so easy to get into. So that's, I just didn't want, if this is not about physical strength, this is not about respecting, like, da, da, da. it's about the strength to make the move that gives you that moral clarity. Gotcha. All right. That okay. gives you that ability to move and a freedom and not be defined by the circumstances that you're in. That's what he admired about what um what Dennis did. Gotcha. All right. And I'll, I'll to that to that point I will pose a, a question to you later on in the episode. Um we get to Stringer and Colvin. So we get to Stringer and uh, Colvin um, makes another call to uh, before he gets on the phone to uh, before he get, before he meets up with Colvin he makes another call to Shamrock. Then he meets Colvin in the we meet he meets Colvin in the, in the graveyard. He says 
we, we get we get confirmation that of course I mean we not, we, not, we don't get confirmation we knew this that he was the one that sent the information about Avon being shot about Avon being shot um what were your thoughts on this scene? Now, this is not the entire Coven stringer scene. This is like part one of that. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta talk about the talk about it together. Okay, all right. So we'll move on to uh, Freeman and Carolyn Massey. They um, they get a call from they get they get the latest call from Stringer, and they realize, of course, that they are getting closer and closer to catching him. Freeman says, "Next time, next time uh, we catch a call from Stringer, he's ours." Um, what are your thoughts? Yep, but, you know that energy moving towards making us think Stringer's gonna get caught. Now we can get to the second part of Stringer and Colvin. So, um, Colvin and Stringer, of course, have are are like you know have been. We've had the street version of what they're trying to do, and the of course the police version of what they're of what they're trying to do in regards to Amsterdam and the drug game. So you have Colvin, um, you have Stringer give the, uh, Stringer give Colvin the information on where, a where Avon is located. Before he does that, he says, uh, you know, that, you know, that there's my brother, but the war cannot keep going on the way that the war, you can't keep going on like this. Um, he says he wants Avon to get, to only get up to, to only to only have to serve five years, the remaining five years of his parole. He already says that you know the guys that we're Avon are going to try to uh, take to claim all the guns that are there, try to claim all the guns that that are not theirs, that are not Avon's to them. So just get him with the parole back up. Uh, Colvin says he must have done some, he must have done something to you, and then you know those final words. You no, know, he's like no, it's just business. Um, I think before you go, I just found it interesting, you know, the, the fact that they, you know, how, you know, how well they knew each other. Now it makes perfect sense. Colvin was a cop 30 years, Avon Stringer is a kingpin. So in the, in the, in the same Western district. So it, it makes sense that they knew that it's not, you know, crazy that they know of each other per se, but I just, I just found it interesting that he made that call. To, to how personal their relationship was, he remember he calls he calls Stringer Russell. So I found that interesting. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? Yeah, again, we at the we're at the end game, though. We're at the end game. All theories must be availed at this point in time. There's no holding back. Um, and so um, I, I caught that too. Uh, speak your mind, Russell. Was 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 the di yeah. Was the di was the direct was the direct quote. I mean, the it, he's a snitch at this point in time. So they yes. been he's been working yes. him. Yep. And so so yeah. That that's that's where that's where I I felt like the connectivity between them really kind of come out in that scene um, is that they've been going back and forth and communicating with each other throughout, throughout this whole time. Um, and so, um, yeah, Bell, Bell is, Bell is his, Bell is, um, um, Colvin's, Colvin's snitch. Um, on, on top of that, I, I thought that it was also interesting about the, it's just business line, right? Like, it's like, at, at like, at, yes, the way that Stringer frames it, it's just business. But we know it's about Stringer's ego, right? Like he just got hit, like with this whole, like, this, like, con like 
what he thought he was building in terms of where he thought he was going in, in his business. Then he got smashed in terms of that interaction like with Avon and the organization. So the only thing he actually functionally has left that gives him power is this Proposition Joe package. Is this is this head of this commission over here. Yeah, the co-op. Um, is the head of this. And if he loses that, then he, in effect, has no power at all. And right. so, like, yeah, while this is business, per se, like, in terms of, like, I'm sure he's rationalizing it, um, the character's rationalizing it in his mind of uh, this is about if we end the war, then we can get back to the package and selling, da da da, and that brings us in money, yeah. But we know it's about Stringer's ego. Yeah. Big scene here. Uh, love this scene. Uh, Avon and Brother Muzon. So Avon is getting a haircut at a barber, getting a haircut at the barbershop. Brother Muzon comes in. Um, and again, these scenes are going basically back to back, which in, in see, these scenes are going directly back to back with Stringer, back and forth with, between Stringer, Colvin, Avon, Brother Muzon. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, obviously, purposely. Uh, as they're betraying each other. Um, so Brad Muzon comes in, Avon's basically said, you know, uh, you know, look good for a man, you know, you look healthy. And then, you know, Brad Muzon said, yeah, for a man who's, you know, who's been shot. And then Brad Muzon goes right in saying basically, hey, your man, your man tried to have me hit. I mean, Omar told me, you know, Omar told me this. Um, Stringer, not Stringer, Avon was like, uh, you know, you believe Omar? Why, why would you believe Omar and uh, Brother Muzon saying he doesn't seem like the one that would tell lies even at the point of death? And then you hear Avon uh, mumble, you know, Proposition Joe package. So at this point, Avon has put together every, basically almost everything that was going on while he was in jail with what Stringer was doing. Um, and then you have uh, a kind of a brother, you know, Avon at this point saying, look, my man made a mistake. I'm willing to pay the cost. This is business. And Brother Muzon, of course, is not having any of that. He says, you know, it's your word and reputation got you to where you're at right now. Um, you know, so and it's only that that and that that and that alone is your only line to New York. So he puts Avon, paints Avon in the corner. Very interesting back and forth because, and this is it, this was like this easily could be a Chardine Award scene as well. For Wood Harris, yeah, his, 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 his emotion. Yeah, so here's emotion. So, Wood, if you really, yeah. really, really zero in on Wood Harris's Wood Harris's face, Avon's face, because there was a thought of, damn, should I kill Muzon? Or uh, there was a thought of confusion, anger, um, and then resorted to what he had, what he ends up having to do, and then as but as, and this was a real key, real key sequence where. He looks at Muzon with a with a like a mean face, and Muzon drops his arms, like quick. It happened really like, within five seconds, as is to say, like, look, we can do this. That's that's how I interpreted it. Like when he dropped his arms quick after you know Avon gave him like kind of like a mean look. Um, so if that you know that again, both actors were just off the charts, but especially Wood Harris in this scene was as good as as good as it gets. Uh, him conveying what he had, what he knowing what he ended up, what he had to do versus, and Muzon puts Avon in a complete powerless state. One of the rare, one of the rare times you ever see Avon powerless. Maybe, maybe go back to season two, 
when he was in jail, but Muzon definitely put him in a painted him in a corner uh, where he had to do what he had to do. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? I'm going to tell you how I read this scene. I'm going to tell you how I read this thing. See, he will. So, uh, um, Avon and Brother Muzon come from the same place in terms of they're both soldiers. So, Will recognizes Will immediately. There was no square off. They were not going to fight or anything like that at all. Um, and and um, and and the the reason why this was so close on my chart. I mean, it was razor thin. It was razor sharp. It was between that and the other scene that I said. And it was it was it was the atypical nature of two black men talking about rescuing and and and, and, and working with young boys instead of violence that that one, the other one versus this one, which is, which is more typical because they're talking about violence. Um, and so, um, but the, what, what made it so powerful was what I interpreted with Harris face is to be the inevitable. Like, even though he was going through the motions of talking about trying to save Stringer, he knows who he's talking to because he is brother moves on. Like they, they come from, they're cut from the same cloth and he knows there's no way that he can actually make that okay. And to your point, Avon has found out a lot of information. Avon has known this day is coming as well. There's a lot of inevitability in the season. Like, and if you think about it, in a lot of, I mean, it's inevitability in our lives. Um, I caution anyone, do not build up or break down these characters as like archetypes. Right, like, because um, uh, 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 that's not what the show wants you to do. Um, and so, um, in Wood Harris plays it from a point you're actually right of vulnerability because Brother Muzon is right there, but they're in his. Anyway, he plays it from a perspective of vulnerability, but the vulnerability comes from the inevitability of the action that he knows that Brother Muzon has to take. Because that's the exact action he would have to take. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so Andy, I, I think would I, I think deep down, uh, Avon knows that Muzon was would be right in taking that action as well. Like he, like he, he, you know, he. I think I think that's a case. You know, I, I think that was because Avon awesome. would take the exact same action. Yes. He would take the exact yes. same action himself. So yes. absolutely, he knows his right. As we know, he's justified in taking that action. Yeah. Um, we go back to uh, the detail, and we go back to the detail with McNulty. McNulty gets a message, of course, from Teresa D. Gaschino. We'll flush that out later on. Uh, they are on Stringer's phone. Um, they take a call from Stringer's phone, and then uh, they he and Freeman begin to uh, contact both Daniels and Perlman. So again, things are moving fast towards the inevitable. Um, quick scene, um, bit of definitely a bit of more setup. What what are your thoughts? Yeah, setup. Go back to Cuddy with the with the with his boxers. They asked about fighting other other boxers from around uh, the area. Cuddy, you know, says you know he can get something he can get something done in terms of that. Uh, we'll see how that pans out. Uh, there's a you know major scene in terms of that. Um, in terms of how that pans out, we'll we'll talk more about that later. Uh, Colvin and Car Colvin and Carcetti, uh have their first 
of many uh, had the first of many scenes. They meet. They end up. Uh, they end up meeting up. Uh, we. I, I guess we can flush all of this out together as as they when he takes his. You know when they start when they start discussing. But this initial scene was when they first uh, met up. Uh, Carcetti, of course, says. You know, you don't take a councilman's calls, and Coleman says, "Hey, been on some un, un been on you know some unexpected leave, uh, say abrupt leave." Um, but there there were a number of scenes between these two that we can definitely uh, flush out. Uh, mayor Royce Kirsch and Kurt Schmo Kurt Schmo, of course, is the ex the ex mayor of Baltimore in real life. Uh, they're trying. Royce is trying to find a way to spend Amsterdam and says, and he says something here, he says, how can they say that we are not a law and order administration? Based, um, Watkins, of course, Senator Watkins gets, gets more frustrated. Um, Kurt Schmoke says in this scene that they'll be calling you the most dangerous man in America if you, they'll be calling you the most dangerous man in America if you uh, take this action. Now, give you some background information on Kurt Schmoke, besides the fact that he was the former mayor of Baltimore. He really was ahead of his time from the standpoint of how to go about dealing, fighting the drug war. He wanted to go, he wasn't about, of course, about locking people up and things of that nature. He was about in terms of drug treatment, public for me. He wanted to attack it from a public health standpoint, public health standpoint, really decriminalization. So uh, ahead of his time um, and was the mayor again for 12 years in, in Baltimore. Uh, any thoughts on, on, what were your thoughts on this scene? We'll, we'll talk about all the things together. Uh, Cardi, uh, Carchetti and Colvin. So Colvin begins to show him the nice neighborhoods where crime, where, where there are no pushers, that, that you know, there was where he's moved the guys from off the corner. He shows them, shows all, shows Cardi the uh, the uh, nice neighborhoods as they're walking in in uh, in the western, not the, uh, in the you know in the western part of town. Uh, any thoughts on this scene? Set up. Daniels and Agent Fitz. I love this scene. I love because I, I I'll explain why. So Agent Fitz, of course, it was in season two. Uh, Daniels puts pressure on Agent Fitz. Um, says, look, you owe me based off what happened at the end of season two where the shit came up bad uh, in, from, in your house with the whole, the mold for the, that, was, that, was, that the mold that the Greeks had and what have you. He says, and Daniels basically says, I need my wire. We're going for string. We're trying to get an affidavit on Stringer Bell. I need my wire. I don't need to go through any red tape with Bay Wireless and what have you. Just, I, I love the scene in terms of how Daniels held on to that and just pull that trump card out at the perfect time. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, they owed him. Carcetti and Colvin. Um, Carcetti and Colvin again. Uh, you have Colvin showing Carcetti again the benefits of Amsterdam with with the clean neighborhoods um, and with you know, with the clean neighborhoods and what have you. Um, they. Um, or explaining the benefits of Amsterdam. Again, more setup. We will flush that out uh, through, uh, later on in, the, in, the, in a couple scenes. Uh, McNulty, Perlman, and Phelan. So they get the, they get the affidavit for uh, Stringer from Phelan. McNulty, of course, is in, his, is, is in his feelings because of past dealings with Phelan. Phelan reminds him that, um, hey, you know, it says, hey, wasn't this, this, didn't we 
but then we work on this case with this guy before, and of course talking about from season one, and yeah, you know, he basically says, McNulty says yes, that that's the one, and then he reminds uh, McNulty to you know get over it, uh, you know, get over it and move on. Um, in terms of being in his, being in his feelings, and then they, you know, they swear in the affidavit to get the uh, affidavit on Stringer Bell. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, this is part of that energy of if we're gonna get to Bell. So we go to Carcetti and Coleman go to a community meeting in the western side of town. The people are happy about the drop in the, the drop in crime. And one of the community members, uh, not an older lady, but a middle-aged lady stands up and tells a story about how a police officer introduced himself on the beat, gave him, gave him, gave her uh, his card, and basically says that's, in terms of face-to-face, that's what, that is what real policing looks like. Um, really tied, that really tied in everything that COVID has been talking about, trying to preach to uh, Carver this season in regards to walking the beat and, and that face to face and that you know that face to face and that difference between that difference between policing and soldiering. Um, what were your thoughts? Yeah, that was what Coburn was saying to Carver. This is what the show was saying to the viewers, and so her speech was to us. This yes. is their manifesto or what they believe policing to be. Yeah, I mean this. Is, you know, <laughs> Oh, so hard, so far ahead of his time, man. When you think about defund the police and all that, it, yeah, yeah, it, you know. So yeah, that that was a uh, definitely. A I, this, well, this just to be clear, that wasn't saying defund. That was the no, police. that wasn't defund the police. Was at, what that was saying was just a more humane way of policing. No, people, that, no, I, which, yeah, has that been, was, which has been asked for for many, many years. To the yeah. to their point. Yeah, that no, that that's not defund. No, this this she's not saying defund the police for that scene. But I was just saying in terms of just her. Uh, bringing just a, another way of policing, what policing should look like, per se. Um, well, what her point was, that's how policing looked for a very long, very long time. time. Yes, yes. And then it took a shift and a turn. And again, this um, this is Carcetti seeing the benefits of Amsterdam. As Coben says, when is the last time you've seen a community meeting like, uh, like this? Um, then we go to another Carcetti Colvin scene where he tells a story. Colvin tells a story of a funeral director, a racist funeral director, who was asked what would he do if he had to serve to serve blacks, and he says, and the the guy says, I would I would burn them all. His name was uh, Stryker. And Colvin Carcetti says, Well, you know, that's sick. And Colvin says, Yeah, you can say what you want, but at least I at least I, at least we knew, at least I knew where he was coming from. Uh, what were your thoughts on that story in this scene? Um, the, the story is that I, I have a lot, but I'm not going to say all that. Um, and so the the thing that I'll say is um, it's it's a it's a statement on politics. It is a statement on um, policing. It is a statement on a lot of that and. Essentially, it's rolled up into as as we know, both as being black men. I would just rather you tell me up front you don't like me instead of doing all this other stuff to take my knees out from under me. Yeah, and that's why you you know you hear Coben say, "At least I knew where he was coming from," in terms of just yep. from that standpoint. Yep. 
Um, we go through back to the detail of fits. They're, the agent fits. They're setting up the equipment, uh, you know, for the for the inevitable in terms of uh, which string of bells. So setting you know setting up that equipment. Uh, Coven and Carcetti. So Coven at this point, uh, Carcetti saw all the great parts of the benefits of what Amsterdam has brought. Now it's time. He said Coven tells him it's time to see the ugly. He allows him to see to go actually down to Amsterdam. He says, you need to take this journey on yourself. Take this journey by yourself. Um, I'll be, you know, I'll be, you know, back here. And um, Colvin explains to Carcetti that he basically is happy with the decision that he made in terms of Amsterdam. In terms of Amsterdam. Uh, what were your thoughts? Keep going. No, what were your thoughts? I'm done. What were your thoughts? No, I'm saying, I'm saying, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll sum it up. Um, we have McNulty and D, uh, Teresa DiGasquino. DiGasquino, of course, they meet uh, at a restaurant. Um, she attempts to get information about Hampshire from him. He uh, he's able to. He was able to pick up on it and decides to uh, decides to leave. Decides to take his keys and basically leave and, and, and leave the restaurant. So that signify the end of any type of relationship that they were going to have. Um, what were your thoughts? Yeah, and it's also kind of like the final um, we talked about like the the different points where McNulty's like re rehabilitating himself and going in a different direction. This is the final kind of like deal with that. Like she called him, she was making an effort, going to dinner, everything like that. Like right. the old another McNulty would have made a different move but instead of um, when he felt bad about himself, again, being human, like all these human moments, all these human moments, that's what makes this episode great. That's why this is great. All of these human moments. He feels bad about himself. Like when she starts talking about Colvin, right. it makes him feel bad. Um, and instead of doing something self-destructive, he does something productive and just walks away. Human, human, human moments that we can all relate to. Yeah, the, the old McNulty would have slept with her. I'm done. Yeah, so, yeah, to your point, you're absolutely right. The old McNulty would have slept with her because she, she had her hope. She pulled out. Yeah, her. we don't want to talk about the old McNulty. We want to talk about, yep, the growth. Yeah. The yeah. growth. No, it was growth. No, it, it, was growth. growth. No, it was growth in that. It was, it, it was growth in, in that moment. And, we've, we, and me and you, we've done a good job of identifying all of these moments throughout the episodes. So this is not just something that happened. This moment is very much earned. No, it's been building up. Yeah, no, it, it, it's been building up over the last couple of episodes. Um, so, oh, of course, we get to, uh, you know, a, a, a goodbye, so to speak, Avon and Stringer on the balcony. So, um, Avon Stringer on the balcony of, of, of Avon's uh Penthouse. Um, they having they're having a drink, and they're discussing their past. And Avon basically tells a story that, basically, you could say encompasses their entire relationship. They he tells a story about when they were kids, and Stringer tried to steal the Batman set, and they didn't have a yard. And he they didn't he tried to steal the Batman set, and they didn't have a yard. Um, 
and they got, you know, they got chased by security guards. And then you hear, uh, you know, they, they, they you know, they, they kind of joke a little bit. And then, you know, even before that, you, Stringer uh, was talking about, talking about discussing Marlowe saying, you know, I wish I would have dealt with that sooner. Avon said, you know, you, you should have dealt with it sooner, but don't, you know, don't let it lay on you. Don't let, don't let it lay on you. He says, I'm just going to enjoy this view. And um, again, even, even in that moment, Stringer goes back to the money. He's talking about, you know, what could I have bought? You know, I could have bought this downtown real estate if I had much had had, had as much money as I then uh, as I had now. Um, so you know, Avon says, "Don't worry about that." And then we, um, you know, we uh, you know we talk about then you hear, you hear Avon not or Stringer say the epigraph. You know, we ain't got to dream no we won't have to dream no more. As after Avon said, just dream with me. And Stringer says, we don't have to dream no more. We got real shit. Uh, we got real estate we can touch. And then Avon, you know, Stringer says, I can't get too fucked up. I got somewhere to be tomorrow. Avon asks, Where you where are you gonna be at? And then Stringer gives a curious, concerned look after that question is asked. And then Avon says, uh, you know. Just want to know where you're gonna be, um, and Stringer, uh, and then Stringer, not uh, Avon, you know, says you know they do the normal thing that they had done, saying us, uh, you know, saying us. Uh, no, he said no. Then they, then they before they before they embrace, he says uh, you need to relax more, and Stringer says I don't take my, you know, I don't, you know me, I don't take my job too seriously. And then Avon repeats what Stringer said in the graveyard to Coven. He's like, nah, just business. And that that's when that's when Stringer knew something was wrong. That's when 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 String when Avon said, no, just business. And then they embrace, hug. And then after you see Avon look, you see a great, a great camera shot. And there were a number of great camera shots over the course of this episode. I forgot to mention that. A number of great shots uh, from the opening scene on. You see, couple, you see a shots of two glasses uh, on the balcony, and as Stringer leaves, you just see one. You see both glasses, but then Stringer leaves. So again, you know a lot of what you know a lot of what we know was coming, but also some even some more foreshadowing. Uh, one of the you know one of the epic scenes of all wire history, without <coughs> question, a goodbye. Uh, you know. Of, a, of of two characters and and and, and storylines between these two characters, uh, what were your thoughts? No, yeah, you named it. It was a goodbye. You named everything about the scene. Yeah, I, like, did you feel that Stringer thought that he could be killed when Avon make, when Avon says no, just business and get that look? What, what, what do you think was going through? You're, re you're reaching, real. You're reaching. You're reaching, You're reaching. Yep. Yep. Um, you named it. It was a goodbye. They saying goodbye to each other. Uh, so give you some uh background on that scene. Um. In the pieces in the book, the pieces matter. Uh, Stringer Avon said, you know, Wood Harris says, in reading that scene, you know, there was a thought that you know one of their characters, you know, could you know could die or what have you. Uh, there was also a thought that uh, 
they said it kind of felt like it felt like a uh, felt like one of the last scenes um, during that particular during that scene. Um, so uh, you know, you can check out. It's a great book. Check out that book. Um, we go to Cuddy and uh, the boxes. So Cuddy. Um, Cuddy goes to uh, sets up the fight between the other between uh, some other kids around the area. You see Justin, um, Justin. You see Justin getting beat up, and, and it was by the by the young kid who we saw in the previous episode at the at the gym that Cuddy was visiting. Uh, that that dude. So we'll we'll see how this transpires. So at the beginning of the scene, at the beginning of the scene, Justin is getting beat up. Uh, what were your thoughts? Shut up. We go back to the detail. Um, so the detail, they hear a call where it says Stringer, where they hear Stringer and Shamrock, uh, Stringer says, um, or Shamrock, Shamrock says, you know, are we good, are, we're good on those other two hitters, those out-of-town hitters, and then you we realize, and the detail realize that Stringer has been finally, has finally been caught. Uh, Stringer kind of semi-reprimands uh, Shamrock on saying says not on the phone, but to me it was you know it was too late. He already said two out of out of town hitters, um, two out of town hitters. It's, I, again, I thought that was I thought this was a great scene from the standpoint of just show just continuously showing you how far Stringer have have fallen. As careful as he once was, the Shamrock is his guy. This is Stringer's number two. Even on a illegal phone with a with a with a different chip and what have you, you don't say two out of town hitters. Like they would, they have been doing a good job of using code words throughout the course of the season and what have you, and when speaking. But this again, this was just this was just another example of what of where Stringer stood at this point in the season. Um, and then of course the detail, McNulty and Freeman celebrate as they realize they finally caught Stringer on the wire. Uh, what were your thoughts? But what were your thoughts on the uh, on the scene? So we uh... sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I said a couple of different times. Um, so the point of the scene was for the detail to be happy. Okay. Okay. So we go back to cutting the gym. You see uh, Justin continues continue to get beat, but showing a lot of heart. Cuddy, of course, is imp- is impressed. Um, Cuddy, you know, over the course, Cuddy, of course, is impressed, you know, with Justin. Um, what, you know, what were your thoughts? Set up. We go to we go to Stringer. Um, we go to Stringer and his bodyguard with Crawlcheck. So they get to the, they get to the, this, this the next this is the next day. Of course, they get to the site, the construction site where Stringer wants to put up the condos. And of course, he go. He's taking out his frustration over what's happened with Clay Davis on on Crawlcheck, who's a, of course we know is a developer. Uh, Crawlcheck doesn't know. Said you know claims not to know anything about what's going on with Clay Davis. Stringer accuses him and Clay Davis being in cahoots, saying basically threatening threatening Crawlcheck, saying y'all gonna you know if this you know this shit doesn't get fixed, y'all gonna pay for it, and what y'all gonna pay for it, and and what have you. Um, and uh, and we see Omar and Muzon, Muzon, of course, discussing discussing a last minute strategy outside the building as they are are, are about to go in, saying and basically and basically Omar telling Muzon 
uh, that all, you know, everything is boarded up, up things, everything, the back door and upstairs is boarded up. Um, and Muzon kind of taunts Avon, not Avon, taunts <laughs> Omar saying, we're going to have to go through the front. And then Muzon says, that's that's a new, that's, Muzon says, uh, that's that's new for you. Um, and, you know, before the inevitable, uh, what were your thoughts on this particular scene? Describe the whole entire scene, real. There's no point in stopping there. No, I'll get back. I'll get back to Cuddy. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to Cuddy. Uh, with the, wrap up that part because I want to. I want to end with the stringer. I want to. I want to end with the stringer, Omar. So we go back to. Uh, there's another scene. There's there's a Cuddy scene. I didn't even remember that Cuddy scene. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. So okay, if there's so, a Cuddy scene, then that's that yeah, setup. Yeah. I, yeah. I wanted to put this scene in the the strip the finale together. So let's wrap. Let's wrap up the Cuddy the Cuddy part the Cuddy scene. So sure. Cuddy, it's Cuddy, Cuddy with the boxers. Uh, the, the fight is over. Justin's, of course, Justin lost, but Cuddy's proud of Justin. Um, the, the kids are cheering Justin on. And, you know, Cuddy says, you know, you, Cuddy says, you got a lot to learn, but you got a lot of, you, you got a lot of spitting fire. There you go. So that, that, and then the kids are kind of saying, Justin, cheering his name, what have you. And, uh, yeah. That was that was that yeah, part. Yeah, I'll, I'll put I'll put a but I did I forgot I forgot I just forgot about the thing because the other one I'll put a button on this I will. Um, and so uh, this 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 puts together everything that we've been talking about with Cuddy, right? Like he's doing it the right way. Um, he's being honest in in that. And then because I spoke so passionately about the the um, the interaction between him and Avon, not only does like he go up to Avon as a man and ask him as a man with a complete plan for, for all the different stuff, which is why I love that scene. But then these are the fruits of his labor. Like it, what he's doing actually matters. And that's why it's a big deal. That's why, um, that's why he's seeing the success that, that he's seeing. And so this is one of the, one of the buttons on his journey through this particular season. And, as we're looking at where all the reformers end up by the end of the season, he will have had the most definitive kind of, yeah, I started here and now I'm here. Yeah. No question. Yeah. No question. And better for it. And people are better for it. For it. Yep. Yep. Uh, So we get to the big one, the finale. Um, You know, we talked before about Stringer being upset at Krawcheck. Thinking that you know, well, not thinking, knowing, not finding out that he and Clay Davis were in the cahoots, or more, or Clay, we're thinking that he and Clay Davis were in cahoots. So basically, threatens him as far as you know, threatens him in terms of paying for everything, in terms of all the money he's lost. Um, we see uh, Crosscheck, you know, says that I don't know what you're talking about, but you got a problem with Central Davis. And then you see Omar busting, shoots Avon's, not Avon, but bodyguard. Uh, string, uh, Stringer runs. Um, Stringer runs throughout through the uh, building. Go runs up. Go runs upstairs, but he finds that he has no way out as far as all all the all the exits are where he, all the exits are boarded up. Certainly, something was symbolic. Um, gets to the top. Gets to the top, and he sees, of course, one brother Muzon who was waiting waiting for him. Muzon tells him to go head back down the steps. He heads back down the steps, and he's, of course, trapped in between two killers in uh, Omar and Butter Muzon. And 
he goes on this plea to basically saying, you know, if it's money that you want, I'll be better. I'll be better off to y'all alive. Um, says that I'm not strapped. Um, and then Omar goes in and basically says, look, man, this ain't about, it's not about your money. And Omar hits to me, this was like the best line in the whole scene, basically he says, you know, your boy gave you up and we ain't had to talk to his ass neither. And that, that had to cut, that had to cut deep for uh, Stringer hearing that. And, you know, at this point, Stringer is resigned to his fate and says, you know, I can't talk, you know, I guess there's nothing I can say that cause that's going to change our minds. Get on it, get on with it, motherfucker. Before he finishes motherfuckers, they blow him away. And you see, see him, you know, get shot, shot, you know, multiple times. And Cuddy, not Cuddy, um, Omar and uh Zone look each other look at each other as uh you see the um the final shot of the B and B Enterprises or B and B um site where you no know, condos were gonna go up. Um a lot going on in that scene, um symb- symbolically in terms of uh the Stringer Bell character. Uh what were your thoughts? Yeah, so let's let's put a let's put a button on Stringer. Let's 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 uh, let's up. tell the entire entire uh, arc of it. Um, way back in season one, you might remember me have talking about um, the death of Omar's um, lover um, yes. being the original sin of the Barksdale organization. It's because of this moment right here. Like literally, Omar brings it up. Stringer's final moments and in and, and de facto the entire Barksdale organization's final moments um, right here. Um, so that was one. And then um, because of also another direct action that Stringer made uh, with Brother Luzon, he has literally put himself in the, like put himself in a no-win situation. By the moves he's made, he has caused his own death. This is through nobody else's fault but his own. But also, in taking this action, it destroys the organization itself because as great as Avon is, he is only great in one department of running that organization. Stringer actually did have a very, very much to do with the business side, the distribution side, and all of, the, and all of those different, different types of things. And not only is that, but it was Avon who gave the, who metaphorically and literally takes the gun and puts it to his own name's head. He literally blows, by killing Stringer, he's killing the Barksdale organization. So he's literally dying by his own hand as well. And so the first word that comes up when you think about this ending is it's a tragedy. And it is, I remember when I saw this for the first time, I am an English lit major. This is my heart. This stuff is my heart. And I was like, I'm watching a modern day tragedy happen on screen. And they executed it amazingly. Now, I've read all the back story since. And so I, I can identify when the show itself switched. And when they knew what was going to happen with Avon and Stringer, 
and how they started to put the pieces together and how by putting the pieces together of how they were going in, they actually figured out the construct of the season and then by definition the rest of the show and that's what elevated it to a new level and that's why i say it this this season became very thematic and this season became very operatic because it ends with a tragedy and the definition of a tragedy like when we're talking about in storytelling is the unfortunate end that you meet is directly because of actions that you've done and that's what makes it a tragedy. They were destined to kill each other. <laughs> From the moment they met, which is why all those callbacks to um why all those callbacks to um how they grew up and, and you can point out the definitive characteristics that Stringer had from when he was younger to now and the definitive characteristics that you had and you saw from um uh, 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 Avon to now the two from the moment they met were destined to go on this journey that would end in their mutual self-destruction it doesn't get more tragic than that and that's why the wire elevated itself and so there are many flaws in Stringer's character and it's very important that the heroes of your story, especially when you're going back in history and looking at like Greek literature where this kind of like tragedy um, was born, um, it's very important that your hero, your leader, um, Odysseus, like put, to put put some some put a name that everybody's familiar with in your mind, that your hero has many 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 flaws. Like that's a big part of being a tragic character. You can't be all good there, but you're going to keep beating your head against the wall. Now, the tragedy of Bell is that the ideal that he wanted was a was a pretty worthy ideal. I yes. think all of us at the time really kind of latched on to that ideal, right? Like that you want to be better than the circumstance you you in. But the problem is the ideal where he was going in that ideal was in the business of pain and death and killing. And you cannot uplift that. It's impossible to no, uplift that. No, there's no, you don't. Um, you and so, no, well, hold on, hold on. Let me, right, let me go. Right. Real, let me go. Let me go. Let me go. Let me go. I'm, I'm talking about this. I'm taking it off the literal page. I'm talking about this in terms of the tragic sense of the character. This has nothing to do with the actual physical moves any character is doing. This is why I'm saying this is why this being a tragedy is such a big deal because it's literature. This is not television. This is literature at its best. Um, and so, um, and so, so Stringer being the one who, um, who, who kept beating his, beating his head against the wall. Like I want to turn this into a business. I want to evolve the game. That is literally pushing that boulder down the, up the hill. And it's always going to come and roll back down on him. And we saw all the different ways that it rolled down on him. That Stringer's personal tragedy, Avon's personal tragedy is that the people that he trusts around him are the ones who are going to um, let him down the most. Yeah. And the ones who are going to be so much a part of his pain. And the only way in which that he, his personal, sorry, the only way in which Avon's personal, I mean, 
Avon's personal tragedy, the only way in which he can attain success is by the death and destruction of others. And in particular, the people who are going to pay the biggest price are the people who are closest to him. Right? The man he considered his brother had to kill the his, the his sister's son in order for X to move forward, which alienates his sister. It's, it's all tragic. Everything, every part of this is tragic. This is this is everybody having a hand into their own self-destruction. It's, it's beautiful and it's what makes the show beautiful and what makes the character of Stringer Bell beautiful and iconic. Done. Yeah. No, it, it is. I mean, when you when you start talking, when you start breaking it down like that, I thought me, I thought um, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, even though they're not yep. lovers, but I thought that's that. Those, nope. That's the media. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the Stringer character. When I, I remember when I first saw this, and this was before this is '04. So they were not. First of all, the television and even shows were not killing. Characters like Stringer mm-hmm. Bell of this magnitude. Mm-hmm. So they this this was this was shocking. I was like, what what? Wait, an intelligent black criminal on top? What? Yeah, yeah. No. Sorry. No, they were not creating that little food about mm-hmm. killing. They weren't creating. They didn't have they didn't have these, mm-hmm. they didn't have these characters. They didn't have these characters on television, number one. Um, but as far as even even going past that, as far as even a major character. On television, they didn't have. They were not killing major characters of this ilk on television. This is this was before Ned Stark got his head chopped off. This is before a number of we've seen. We, it's become you know it, it's it, we see it all the time now. It was not happening in television at this point. And you know if you read if the pieces matter, Ildis Elba was surprised that Ildis Elba thought that the show was going to end up being about him <laughs> moving forward. He he got that call from David Simon. He was, you know, surprised. He thought, and you know, he was upset. To be honest with you, he was a little surprised and upset. And again, you know, you're a working actor. Of course, this is your livelihood, so that that that's a natural emotion. But you know, basically, Simon Simon said the character. Basically, Simon was like, "Look, this show, if this if it keeps going on, it's going to just the show will end up being about Stringer Bell if it goes on this way. We're trying to tell a, of course, a larger story than just about one particular uh, character." Um, so from that standpoint, um, as far as you know, Stringer, we all know the, all the, know the mistakes. But the thing about it, a couple of things that stand out to me is number one, we 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 both watch a number of mafia movies, and we both are familiar with the commission. I I, I kind of look at the co-op and the commission, um, not exactly the same, but that that whole idea of having a bunch of gangsters together and trying to. Work through, but yeah, they're absolutely the same thing. They absolutely this no, this is the difference though with Luciano running, running the commission. Commission was about business and, and what have you, and and with, with and what have you. But they, but they, they, there was no. They still killed people. You know, they killed Bugsy Siegel. You know, what I'm saying Luciano killed his own, killed the bugs. They knocked off his own guy, and you can do you can do the research, not you particular, but my audience can do do the research on how that went down. Uh, you go go watch the movie Bugsy, a number of you know readings and live, you know, go go check it out on your on your own time. But there, you know, Stringer tried to trade take violence out of drug game, which is not possible. It's just not it is. 
impossible. It's just impossible. So, you know, his idea in terms of wanting to go to that next step as far as um, wanting to get away from corner shit and shit like that. Yeah, that's cool. You want to get not worry about every, owning every corner. Yeah, but they're still going. It's still going to be. This is the drug game. You, it's still going to be violence within drug game. And um, and I wanted to kind of. And there's a lot of thought. There's a thought process too about the Stringer character. Um, and I read a lot of stuff on it where they where this is the idea that he was completely trying to go legit, which I don't agree with. Cause I still, he still wanted to make money from drugs. He still wanted to make, he still was going to be on the co-op, which is, which still getting paid from the, from, uh, from, you know, selling the drugs. So he wasn't trying to go complete. He wasn't trying to go, uh, completely, uh, from that standpoint. But, um, yeah, to your, to your point, it is a tragedy. Avon and Stringer were one heartbeat. They could not exist without each other. That's the, that's the bottom line in regards to, the barn show. They were they were one. They they were not. You can't separate those two. You, you, there's no. It's impossible to separate those two without the organization. Um, without the organization falling apart. And to my point, and I, I want to mention something about you know when when Omar says your boy gave you up, and we had to talk to his ass either. That just lets you know that a, at that point Avon that Stringer was alone. He had at that point he had no. He just had no friends. He had no friends. He had no friends and no allies um, at all. So that, and I mentioned that before, that had to cut deep, you know, before he gets that bullet, that had to cut deep to say, yeah, your boy gave you up. And we and we didn't have to talk to his ass neither. Man, me and Abraham, Omar basically saying, we didn't, have to, we didn't have to convince him to give you up. Um, yeah, just a, uh, you know, one of those scenes that you can, uh, you know, I watched the scene a number of times. And you know, just you know, shot in his own condominiums, and just his world closing in on them. Just is you know, you can't. It's hard to, to write a better to write a better death scene of a character uh, of this um, this magnitude. Just you know, just a brilliant scene, and you know, you're not gonna. There's no way you're gonna get away from Brother Moon's own that, that combination. <laughs> that, that combination is you know. Uh, you know, is going to be unstoppable. Uh, themes, we, of course, talked about the death of a dynasty. Um, we flushed, uh, you know, flushed that out in terms of the Barksdales. This was, even not knowing what was going to happen in episode 12, uh, well, we did know what kind of was going to happen in episode 12 in terms of what, you know, what Stringer did to Avon. So, yeah, this was, this was in essence, the end of the Barksdales, as we know them, uh, uh, with the death with the death of Stringer Bell. Uh, so it was, you know, and again, you know, this is, you know, this is the game, so to speak. You know, drug dynasties go away, you know, or you know, flip over all the time with uh, with different crews and what have you, and families, even within the mafia and things of that nature, that happens all the time. So, so you had that going on. I'd also mentioned there is no middle ground. Um, so what I mean by when I said that there's no middle ground, um, you can't, with Colvin and, and Stringer, you know, Colvin tries to find a, you know, tries to find a middle ground between Amsterdam and Belize and, 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 and 
between stat chasing and doing Amsterdam, that you know, that's not you know that's not going to happen. And with Stringer, with Stringer, there's certainly no middle ground with being a criminal and a businessman. And that's why you know Avon mentioned not hard enough, not smart enough. You know, you got you got to pick one. You're not going to this game. You know, is not you're not going to be you're not going to be a strict businessman along with being a, a gangster at the same time. Um, so. Yeah, from that standpoint, there's no middle ground. And, of course, Stringer and Avon could never, never find uh, a middle ground in regards to their philosophies and ideologies in terms of how they thought. They never could find that middle ground. Avon had his view, Stringer had his, had his view. thought about this um, in regards to Stringer and Avon. We've seen, we've seen relationships within the criminal uh, within criminals and high-ranking criminals go, you know, sideways in, in, in movies before. But I don't know if I've ever seen two people just completely destroy each other and destroy destroy each other and themselves at the same time, the way Avon and Stringer destroyed each other and, at the, and basically, in essence, killed each other at the same time in regards to... I was, and I was going run through my brain, I'm like, you know... Nino Brown, G Money, is like nah. Nino Brown was was the guy, and you know G Money betrayed him. But it, it was like that was, and G Money made a fatal mistake, and Nino Brown took him out. I could include that. Uh, you know, Scarface and Manolo is like nah. Scarface just was you know up, and Manolo slept you know slept with his sister. So I like this. I've never seen anything like like this from a standpoint of two high ranking. Carry high ranking criminals, kingpin, completely destroy each other from within and just finally, from with finally, like I said, from just, just, I mean, they, I mean, Avon, you know, has him killed and what have you, and that's his science, his death certificate, death certificate, uh, to have Avon to have uh, Stringer killed. Um, Stringer calls the cops on Avon, which is, I mean, we know how that you snitching, all how that, I mean. It's not a civilian calling cops. This is this is your this is your man. You call the cops on your man to, to bring him down. So, um, yeah, I, I've never seen anything uh, like that in in television, and even up to this point, still haven't ever seen anything like that. Have you? It's a it's a tragedy, so it has to feel tragic, so that it really stands out. In regards to Brother Muzone and Avon, I want to get I want because I, I a question just popped up in my head. If yeah. hypothetically speaking, if Stringer had not had D'Angelo killed, does Avon does what, what if Avon does Avon still make that move? Wait, what is happening? <laughs> no, I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying, if Avon, if Stringer had not had D'Angelo murdered in prison, would have a would a would have Avon made that move to? Uh, no, nothing would have happened because he wouldn't have had him murdered. So of course he wouldn't make that move. Uh, what were your um? Who were your MVPs as far? Uh, who was yeah? Let's go MVPs. I mean, Avon and Stringer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that was. I think that's definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm done. That's Kobe Shaq. Come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we know. We, we, we know. We know how this one go. 
and your Chardin Award went to. Uh, All right, I, yep, I yep. said mine earlier. It's my spoiler alert. Um, I actually had, yeah, I had, yeah, I had Avon and uh, <laughs> I had, yeah. I actually you know what for MVP. I actually had String as MVP. I actually had String nice. as MVP, and I had Chardin, Avon, and String. So, you know, basically, basically the same. You know, the same difference from that standpoint. Uh, yeah, this I mean, this episode was everything that it that, that I thought it was going to be, and then some in, in regards to the um, in regards to the rewatch. Like, and to think, like, I mean, again, we talked about this, we, we talked about this with episode eight, uh, when him and Stringer, when the when him and Stringer go at it over D'Angelo, like that could have been a series, a season finale. This definitely could have been like. There's still one episode more. <laughs> Amazingly, there's still one more episode left in season three. So, and the season finale, by the way, was phenomenal too. Uh, we'll do that next week. But again, the amazing thing about this show is they keep pushing the envelope as far as you think like this could be the season finale. No, this could be the series finale, or this could this could have been the series finale. To be honest with you, this could have been a series finale. So uh, I found that uh, incredible uh, as well. Uh, from that standpoint, but there is certainly one more. There is one more episode left before we uh, wrap up season three and head towards uh, season uh, four of The Wire. Any uh, final thoughts? Great episode. No, it, it is definitely. Uh, no, it's definitely is all timer. Again, uh, one of the great television episodes of all time. We already talked about the fact that it's, it's the greatest wire episode of all time. And of course, Bolcher agrees, and um, Bolcher agree, you know, agrees with that. You know, we, you know, we've had always haven't been, I've always haven't agreed with Bolcher. Some of Bolcher's majority of them, I uh, have been fine. But this one kind of like uh, was a was a no brainer. Uh, George Pelicanus, Pelicanus said that he, you know, and the Vulture article was like two years ago, so they're relatively fresh rankings, but Pelican has said that he never has put, he is, he's never written anything better. He said he's never, he, he said he's never written anything better than this particular uh, episode. Uh, so, you know, I mean, that's, that's saying a lot, considering how long he's uh, been around. Uh, that's going to wrap it up. For this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix, I hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. Thank you, Robert Sat. All right, so be safe, be healthy. No question about it. Um, as always, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, www.youtube.com slash C slash Real Deal Podcast. I will see you next time uh, on the next episode of edition of the Real Deal Podcast. Have a great, great rest of the evening.